Well, good morning. Uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm really excited about this month of November. It's one of my favorite months of the year uh, because it's the opportunity I get as the lead pastor here at The Orchard to really share with you what God has been working in my heart for our church. And I say it's one of my favorite months of the year because of that, but also because that is one of the heaviest months of the year for me because, man, God really does lay some things on my heart throughout the year that I have to figure out, okay, how do we say this? How do we talk about this? How do we get to where I think God is calling us to be? And that's the challenge of November, what, is, what makes it so exciting. And I'm glad you're here for it. If this is your first time uh, being with us for one of our vision series in November, I'm really glad that you're here because you're going to get to hear not just who we are at The Orchard, but who we want to be, right? Because all of us have somebody that we want to be in the future. Uh, We want to have six-pack abs. We want to have $100 bills falling out of our pocket. We want to be not busy, right? And just because we want to be those things doesn't mean that we ever quite get there in some cases, but it's important to know who we want to be because that's the road that we're walking down. That's the journey that we're taking. And really, that's what this series is all about. That's what God has laid on my heart for our church for this month, is who are we going to be? Who are we becoming? Uh, Like we already said in the bumper, all of us are being changed. Like, none of us are who we were a year ago. And if we were to fast forward another year, we're not going to be then who we are right now. And so it's not a question of whether or not we're actually being changed. That's happening. The question is, who are we being changed into? How are we being changed? And as we already said, you know, in the bumpers that, you know, Paul says that we have two options. Well, we have two options. Are we going to be formed or are we going to be uh, transformed, conformed? Paul talks about that. So go with me. Look at this. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse number two, because I think Paul lays out that change and those options for change pretty clearly. Uh, This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse two. He says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. I like how Eugene Peterson says it in the message translation. This is what he says. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. You see, Paul makes that assumption that we are all being changed and there's two options. We're either going to be conformed or we're going to be transformed. And that's why we're calling this series Formed is because one way or the other, we're being formed. You're either being conformed into the image, into the mold of this world, or you're being transformed to look more like Jesus. And those words kind of conform, transform. They have that root of formation in them. But the the ideas, the pictures are different. When you think of that word conformed, the the word there really kind of has a Play-Doh vibe to it. Um, We all had Play-Doh growing up, played with Play-Doh. If you got little kids at the house, you still play with Play-Doh, no judgment here. Um, But you think of that Play-Doh and like the molds that come with it, and you can take that Play-Doh and like press it into the mold and it becomes a hamburger or a butterfly or whatever. It doesn't really change. It's still Play-Doh. At the end of the day, you're going to mash it up and put it back in its little container, but you can conform it in that mold to something that you want it to be. And I think that's the idea that Paul has in mind there when he says that we can be conformed to the image of this world. It may happen quickly from that instant outside pressure of like pressing it into a mold or it happens a little more slowly and subtly, maybe more like erosion. But if we're not careful, 
That's an ever-present danger in our lives. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, the danger is that in a very subtle way that we are being conformed to look more like the world. Um, You've probably heard me say before, if you've been uh, hanging out at the orchard for a little while, that one of my greatest fears for the church in America today is that we're discipled more by the news that we watch than the scripture that we read. Like that's what's forming us and, and it's not what should form us. The image of this world is not what we should look like. Paul says, don't, don't be conformed, be transformed. And that's a whole different word. It's not the idea of like taking that Play-Doh, pressing it into the mold, and it's still Play-Doh when you take it out. That idea of being transformed is that you are made into something new, that you are uh, changed from the inside out. So it's not like an image uh, of Play-Doh. It's an image of pottery. It starts out as clay, but through the formation of the potter's hand, it is transformed into something completely new, something completely different. You're not going to take that jar or that vase or whatever and mash it back up into clay at the end. No, it's now a jar. It's now a plate, a vase, whatever. It has been transformed. And so that's the idea. Are we going to be conformed? Or are we going to be transformed to look like Jesus? And so in this series, this month, what I want to do is introduce a new phrase into the vocabulary of the orchard. Uh, I want us to start talking about spiritual formation. That's probably a new term for you. Uh, Maybe you've heard it, but not really used as a definitive phrase, maybe just thrown out. You read it somewhere. Most of us probably haven't heard that phrase before, but I think that phrase spiritual formation is key to who we want to become at the orchard. That idea that we want to be formed like Jesus, formed by Jesus. We want that spiritual formation. Uh, Well, what is What is spiritual formation? I have a very uh, simple definition uh, of what I think spiritual formation is. And I hope it's something that that you can maybe chew on and and internalize a little bit because I think it's important, again, for who we want to be at the orchard. Spiritual formation is moving Jesus to the center of our hearts and lives. Now, I know that sounds simple, but, but that's the point. This doesn't have to be complicated. When we talk about being formed by Jesus, being formed to be like Jesus, what we mean is in every area of our life, in every context of our life, in every relationship of our life, in every avenue of our life, we want to move Jesus to the center. That's spiritual formation. Why is, why is that so important? Well, I think it's important because number one, That's how we become like Jesus, is that when we move him to the center of our hearts and our lives, when we're shaped into his image, and the goal of following Jesus is to be like him, right? Paul says that there's a day coming that when we see him, we'll be made like him. But until that day, we are growing slowly and steadily into that image. And I think on an even bigger level for the vision of our church, becoming like Jesus is how we're going to impact lostness in our communities. You've heard me say this in North Central Florida, the 13 rural counties that make up this part of the world, the places where there's a dollar store five minutes in any direction from your house. uh, There are a half million lost people that live there. The people that teach our kids in school, uh, the people that bring us our coffee at breakfast, the people who play on our baseball teams like those people, a half million of them, they 
they don't know Jesus. They have no hope of eternity. And so we want to become like Jesus so that we can help lead them to Jesus, so that we can help show them who he is and what he's done and what he can do for them. So that's why spiritual formation is so important. We, we want to move Jesus to the center of our heart and lives because that's how we become like him. And that's how we're going to impact the lostness of our friends and family inside of our communities. Now, if you grew up in church, the question that you're asking, or maybe what you're saying to yourself right now is, well, Chip, aren't, aren't you just describing discipleship? Like, why, why, are you, why are you coming up with a new word for discipleship? Why can't we just call it discipleship? Well, here's why. Don't get me wrong. Like, disciple is not a bad word. Discipleship is not a bad word. Matter of fact, the heart of who we want to be at the orchard is we want to be a church that makes disciples. Pastor Eddie's vision for the orchard when he founded it is that we would make disciples of the unconvinced, the unconnected, the unfinished. That's still who we are. But I, my problem's not with the idea of discipleship or becoming a disciple. I think it's more with the word discipleship, because I think discipleship is one of those words that when Whenever you use it, depending on what crowd you're in, it can mean anything or it can mean nothing, right? When we say discipleship to some people, that's a Sunday night class that they used to go to with their grandma. Uh, when we say discipleship to other people, they're thinking of like a, a, a one-on-one mentoring relationship. Uh, others think of discipleship in terms of just spiritual habits that they're trying to learn, like a checklist of behaviors that they want to put into their lives. Uh, and some people think that discipleship is simply uh, gaining a deeper understanding of the theological truths of Scripture. I'm not saying that any of those are inherently wrong, but I'm saying the other part of it is, is that there's a lot of people, maybe even some of you, that when we say discipleship, they got no idea what we're talking about. It's not a word that we use outside of church. And those words that we only use inside of church can become barriers as we try to impact lostness in our communities. That's why, and if you know me, I have such an issue with the word fellowship. Fellowship sounds great inside of a church setting, but if you go to the football game on Friday night and ask somebody if they want to go have fellowship afterwards, they're not going to have a clue of what you're talking about. So if we want to reach our communities, we got to make sure that we are using words that are actually descriptive of what we're talking about. And when I think of discipleship it's a word it means everything it means nothing spiritual formation is descriptive spiritual formation lets us know that we are being formed and we need to be sure that we're being formed in the right way we need to be sure that the formation that is happening in our life is actually making us look more like jesus And so that's why I think maybe we're going to start shifting that vocabulary around a little bit. We want to talk about spiritual formation at the orchard, because my prayer is that in the years to come, that we would be a church of men, women, students that are deeply formed into the image of Jesus in every area of our life, that we move Jesus to the center of our hearts and life. And I think that that we do that really in three big categories. Uh, my heart's desire is that we would be a church that is deeply formed in faith, life, and mission. Faith, life, and mission. If you've been around the orchard for a little while, uh, you might have heard it put this way. We want to be formed upward, inward, 
and outward. We want to be formed in our faith toward God and our relationship with him. We want to be formed inward in our life, in our habits, in our actions. And we want to be formed outward in our life on mission as we seek to impact lostness. And that's what we're going to do uh, in the next couple of weeks is we're going to kind of walk through what does it look like to be formed in faith, life, and mission. And today, uh, just for the next few minutes as we wind down, talk a little bit about what it means for us to be formed in our faith. Right? When we say we want to be formed upward, we want to be formed in our faith, what does that mean? Well, see, I think uh, being formed in our faith means that we allow Jesus through his word and by his spirit to shape what we believe. Okay, now, now that may sound weird at first because you're thinking, well, obviously, but I think when we give it a little more attention and thought, it's more nuanced than that. See, many of us know what we believe. You know what you believe, and maybe you wouldn't say it that way, but let's be honest, you have opinions. You have some definite uh, uh, opinions, but the problem is very few of us have actually given much thought into why we believe what we believe, right? Why do you believe those things that you believe? Why do you believe uh, the opinions that you have? Do you believe it because that's just what you were told? That's just what you've been taught if you grew up in church, if you didn't? Uh, Do you believe it because that's what other people believe in tribes that you want to identify with? And before you say no to that too quickly, I mean, that's a big reason people believe what they believe is because they see other people they want to be friends with, they want to hang out with, they want to be like And they say, well, if that's what they believe, that must be what I believe. Or do you believe what you believe because you are convinced through a clear understanding of the word of God? And I think if we're being honest, it's far too often that answer is no. We, we don't come to the scriptures so that we understand what we believe. We come to the scriptures to prove what we believe. And that's why we're so bad about just picking this verse here, this verse there, and saying, oh, well, that shows what I believe. That's not always the case, right? We come with our agenda. We come with our bias. We don't come to Scripture and say, okay, teach me. Okay, I want to learn. Show me what I believe. It's so important that Scripture itself, uh, being illuminated by the Spirit of God, is what forms our faith what forms our belief, not our opinions, not the news that we watch, not uh, our background, not the tribes we want to fit into, but but the scripture illuminated by the spirit. That's what forms our belief. It makes me think uh, of Martin Luther, Uh, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, uh, the Protestant reformer. Um, this past week we had Halloween, right? You may still be on a sugar high, um, but it wasn't just Halloween. It was Reformation Day because it marks the day that Martin Luther, a German monk, took 95 opinions, 95 beliefs, 95 uh, critiques, really, uh, of the Roman Catholic Church and nailed it uh, to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. And the the flame uh, or the spark that he started there uh, turned into a flame that spread all across Europe where people started questioning questioning what they believe and why they believe what they believe. And there was just a whole lot there, if you don't know the story. Uh, But it ultimately culminates with Martin Luther being put on trial in front of kings and officials of the Roman uh, Catholic Church. And they're basically saying, hey, you've got to recant or take back all of these things that you say you believe because they don't align with what we believe. 
And so they put him on trial and they're threatening to get rid of his job, to drive him away from his friends and family. He's essentially going to have to go into hiding if he doesn't recant his beliefs. And so on a a, a council in the city of Worms, he gives this uh, speech that has been passed down through history where he talks about why he is so convinced of what he believes. Let me just read to you uh, the last paragraph of Martin Luther's speech. This is what he says. He says, Since your most serene majesty and your highness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I'll give one. And it's this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. Listen to this. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or or by cognate reasons if I'm not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it, can, it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can't do otherwise. God help me. I love that, that he makes it clear. I, guys, I just can't change my mind unless you convince me that God's word says different, because that's how my faith, that's how my belief has been formed. I wonder what would look differently in our churches if we had that conviction, that what we believe was not formed by all these other external factors that are pressing in to conform us, but what we believe was transformed by just a clear understanding of the word of God. So then, I think the question is, okay, if, if that's what I want, Chip, I think, I think that's a good thing. How do I do it? How, how can I make sure that my faith is being formed by God's Word? How can we form our faith? Um, two things, I think. Uh, number one is a healthy, that word's important, a healthy deconstruction of uninformed beliefs. Uh, now, I know a while back that deconstructionism was a, like a big thing that was uh, either some people loved it, some people hated it. It's caused a lot of people to leave uh, a lot of their previously held beliefs. Many people walked away from the church because of it. But at the end of the day, all the deconstruction was, was this is what I've been told to believe. I have no idea why I believe it. And they started questioning all that. And, and I want to say this. I don't think that's inherently bad. If there's things in your life that you would say you believe, but you don't know why you believe them, it might be important to kind of pick through that a little bit. I think we have a very clear uh, biblical example of a group of people who did just that. Uh, If you have your Bible still, you can go there uh, to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, we're introduced to a group of people called the Bereans. Paul's uh, on a missionary journey, and he comes to this particular group of people, and this is what Luke writes about them in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. He says, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men." Um, So I think that that passage is really insightful, right? Because we have this group of people known as the Bereans. Why were they known as the Bereans? They're from Berea. uh, Who hear 
Paul preaching and they take, get this, the scriptures to see, okay, is that what he's saying? Is what he's teaching here in the scriptures? And when they saw that what he was teaching indeed was in the scriptures, they changed their beliefs. Now, now here's the thing that I think we lose a lot of times. When we think of the Bereans, we think, oh man, those were good Christians who pulled out their Bibles and their New Testaments to evaluate what Paul was preaching. No, that's not the case. These guys weren't Christians. They were Jews who were attending the synagogue and they didn't have a New Testament. Their scriptures were the Old Testament. So here's the thing. They didn't have a blank slate of beliefs that they said, oh, I like what Paul's teaching. It doesn't violate this New Testament that's not even been written yet. So I believe it. What you have is a group of Jewish believers who were regularly attending the synagogue who hear something contradictory to what they have believed in Paul's message. And then Paul says, but if you will search the Old Testament, let me show you where even the Old Testament points to this person of Jesus and the message of his gospel that I'm telling you about. And so they search the Old Testament. Testament scriptures and changed their minds. Why? Because they were convinced by scripture. What would it look like for you to change your mind about some things you believe because you were convinced in scripture? I mean, honestly, for a lot of us, that's a big thing because we believe what we believe. Again, why do you believe it? Do you allow God's word to contradict your opinions? Because if you don't, then I'm not sure you're worshiping God. You're worshiping a reflection of yourself. I think God is going to disagree with us at times. He is right. We're not always. And so if we are reading the scriptures and never finding ourselves having to change our mind about something we believed, then maybe we're not reading them very carefully. It is okay to deconstruct uninformed opinions or beliefs. We need to evaluate these things by the scriptures, but we can't just leave it there. I think that's the big problem with the deconstruction movement that we've seen is is we deconstruct beliefs, but we never build anything back. So I think the second thing of being formed in our faith is having a healthy reconstruction that I think comes primarily through spiritual habits right? It's okay to look back and kind of question and sort through some things that you're not sure why you believe what you believe, but don't just leave it there. Don't just tear it down. Build it back up. Build spiritual habits into your life that are going to help your faith be formed in a manner that is consistent with the scriptures. Uh, Let me read you one more more passage of scripture. It's one of my favorites. Uh, This is not Paul writing. This is Peter. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14, this is what Peter says. He says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace, right? Hey, while you're living here on earth, waiting for Jesus to come, make every effort to look like Jesus. That's what he's saying, okay? Then look at this. He says, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about all these things in his letters, and here it is. I love it. Peter is one of us. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity." 
So I love what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, look, you have to continue to grow in Christ's likeness, and you do that by the study of the Word. He says, look, Paul's written these things in his letters, and I love that he says, and they're hard to understand. Look, I get it. Every time we talk about building a habit of Scripture reading, I always have people say, Chip, but man, it is hard. And I'm like, I know. I had to go to school to learn how to read the Bible. Like, it is difficult, but it is worth it. He says that's how when we study the scriptures, when we study the word, we can know what it says. We can begin to understand it for ourselves and not have to worry about those who would take it and twist it and use it for their own advantage. But I think when we say study the word, it's important that we make just a caveat here that we need to be careful that we don't turn transformation simply into information. We're seeking spiritual formation. We want to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That doesn't come just from learning more information. Uh, Pastor John Ortberg says this, the goal is not for us to get through the scriptures. The goal is to get the scriptures through us. Some churches give people the idea that the only way, transforma- the only way to transformation is knowledge. There's an assumption that as people's knowledge of the Bible rises, their level of spiritual maturity rises with it. Knowledge about the Bible is an indispensable good, but knowledge does not by itself lead to spiritual transformation. When Paul urged the Christians at Rome to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, he was thinking of far more than just the acquisition of information. Mind refers to a whole range of perceiving, understanding, valuing, and feeling that in turn determines the way we live. While knowledge is vital and should be prized, it also poses danger. It demolishes humility. The term know-it-all is never used as a compliment. And I think Pastor Orberg hits it on the head, right? Is not that The knowledge is not simply to get through the Scriptures, but to get the Scriptures through us. That's why we study the Word, not for information, but for transformation. And then as we study, we seek discernment through prayer right? Like, hey, God, I'm reading your word. I'm studying your word. I'm learning your word. Would you show me the places in my life that need to change because of it? Would you show me the place that I've held these wrong beliefs for a long time just because of what I've been taught or other people I wanted to be like? God, would you show me those blind spots that I'm just missing? I think it's important when we think of prayer, we keep in mind that prayer is not just asking for God to do something, that prayer is hearing from God. And what he wants to speak into our lives, let let him be the one who guides you on this journey of spiritual formation. As you study his word, discern in prayer, but let me just say, don't don't do that in a vacuum, right? Because, well, Chip, I I really feel like this is what God is telling me. Uh, Okay, but but if God's telling you, he's not going to tell just you, which is why it's not just study the word and discern through prayer, but do it in community, sharpen others, let others sharpen you. A great way to do that for your faith to be formed by others. I know this is hard for some of you. Just read. I know that after we get out of high school, none of us wants to pick up another book again. But let me tell you, there are godly men and women who have invested in the church a wealth of spiritual knowledge. If we will just go to Amazon, put the book in our cart and open it up, right? There is some great stuff we can learn through reading. And, and how about this? It doesn't even have to be somebody that you don't know who's written a book. Gather with others in conversation. Let that conversation around the scriptures, discerning in prayer, form your faith. That's That's why small groups are so important here at The Orchard. 
is that we would do this in community. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. We need others to sharpen us and to help form our faith as we seek to move Jesus to the center of our hearts and lives. Uh, let, let me just end today um, by asking you a question, okay? So, so lean in, let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen one of those bodybuilders that you know just skips leg day? You know what I'm talking about? These guys are just like massively jacked human beings, and yet you're fairly confident that a stiff wind could push them over because they have no foundation except for the two twigs that look like legs on their body. Now, now here's why I ask that. Sometimes I wonder if that's not what our faith looks like in God's eyes. And, well, I mean, like, man, we crush worship, right? Like, we love worship and crying out to God and raising our hands and, and singing at the top of our lungs. But underneath that, is there really a foundation? Is there really a foundation of belief? Is there a foundation of understanding? Not a foundation, just of emotion and feeling. And don't mishear me. Those things are good and they are necessary, but they are not primary, that we need a foundation of a solid conviction of the teachings of Scripture so that when life comes and that wind of life tries to blow us over, that we can stand firm in our faith because we have been well-formed. And so I want to ask you, what are you doing in your life right now to form your faith? Or better yet, what are you doing right now to let Jesus form your faith? If we want to move Jesus to the center of our heart and life in the pursuit of spiritual formation, what we believe, our faith, has to be a part of that. So I look forward in the days ahead as we really seek to be a church that is well-formed in our faith. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us to be together today. God, I pray that you would use your word by your spirit to even now begin to form our belief about belief. Jesus, I know that there are places in my life that you are not in the center. And I know that can be true of everybody right now. But God, I pray that you would reveal those areas to us, that you would reveal those areas to me, and that you would transform me from the inside out so that you would take your rightful place at the center of every piece of my heart and every area of my life. God, thank you for this church that you have blessed us with, a place to call home, a people to call family. And I pray that in the days ahead, you would form us in our faith and our life and our mission so that we can look more like you to the people around us. That's in your name we pray. Amen.